know that soldiers in distant lands were coming home. What comfort that news brought. If we get that thought, we will be better able to understand this wonderful poetic chapter in the Bible, which begins, Comfort, comfort my people. I'd like to look at this matter of comfort this morning. I'm going to ask three questions. Why do they need comfort? What comfort is being brought? And thirdly, who assures them of comfort? So, first of all, why do they need it? What is the comfort? And who's bringing the comfort? So, first of all, why do they need this comfort? This is what it says, chapter 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Why do they need that comfort? Let me explain to you why they need that comfort. This chapter is written addressing a certain period in Israel's history. It is written to the nation of Israel because they are the people of God. They became the people of God through God's promises and through his covenant. And a covenant is a little bit like a marriage, uh, a close engagement of uh, the people with their God. And that covenant uh, helped to define the people. It was way back in the time of Moses that this covenant was made. It is what Christians call the Old Covenant or the Old Testament. Testament and covenant are exactly the same thing. And that is why our Bibles are divided into the Old Testament, that's the Old Covenant bit, and the New Covenant, the New Covenant bit through Jesus. Well, these people were in the Old Covenant. And the covenant meant that they were given the gift of a land to live in. A land flowing with milk and honey, God said. They were given a gift of land. They didn't deserve it, God said. I'm not picking you to give this land to because you're smart or big. In fact, you're pretty rubbish, you lot, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. It was given to them without deserving it, but it was given conditionally. And uh, the condition being that if they were grateful and glad and uh, respected the God who had given them this gift, if they were loyal and obedient, they could stay in the land. But if they were disloyal, if they spat in God's face, they didn't care about him and didn't trust him, then God specifically promised, you will experience defeat in battle, scattering all over the four corners of the world from your home, and particularly exile. You'll be taken off, not as tourists, but as prisoners. And the chapter addresses the situation where God has actually done this. It's looking at the exile in Babylon, which is, as you know, part of the history of Israel. 
Just as the Holocaust is part of the history of Israel, so the exile in Babylon is part of the history of Israel. And God did what he had said. And before you say, oh, that was very impatient of God, that was very harsh of God, let me tell you that God put up with this disloyal people for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And actually it's a story of enormous patience and enormous kindness which just got spat back into God's face. So he did send them into exile and we are to imagine this chapter that was written before the exile is written for the exiles. For them to read there in that foreign land there as exiles sent away from their home abandoned it would seem by God full of questions how did this happen why did this happen has this happened because our God was too weak to look after us has this happened because military power, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, really is too strong for God? Has this happened because the gods of the Babylonians are stronger than the God of Israel? All sorts of questions they would have had. Is our sin so bad that the promise God gave to take us home will actually never ever be fulfilled is our sin too bad for his promises to overcome and there they are in a distant dark dungeon and that's why they would value comfort that's their situation and this word comes to them comfort my people speak tenderly to Jerusalem uh, it literally says speak to the heart speak to, down in that part of that being where those people had lost hope perhaps lost a uh, sense of any security perhaps uh, well, who knows what was going on in there but he says speak to their heart comfort comfort my people that's why they needed comfort and of course, this idea of being in a distant, dark dungeon is simply a reflection of not only the situation of historic Israel, but really the whole human condition. The idea of being, uh, so it applies to Jews and non-Jews alike. Uh, we are like them in that whatever nationality, ethnicity we have, we've been given so many good gifts by God. And human beings are, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think you will correct me, by nature ungrateful to God. You might find it in your heart this morning that God's given you so many good things, yet you don't feel grateful to him. Irreverent to God. Not bowing before someone who is greater than they are, but sort of, quietly push, pushing him out of their mental picture, disloyal to God, not feeling I have any obligation to please him, 
to do what he says, to fit in with his ways. That's the human condition. And the writer of Isaiah 40 says, about, uh, says in verse 6, All men are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, because the Spirit of the Lord blows on them. And he says that all, all people are like this. They are like grass. They just dry up. They wither away. They don't. They're not. They don't last forever in that sense. Uh, and that's what human beings are. And maybe you've come to church, and maybe the people sometimes come to church for the first time. Maybe you've come for the first time, and you are just hearing God saying, "This is your condition. Without me, you are distant, dark, imprisoned." That's what human nature is. If you haven't yet been touched by God's Spirit, you are like grass, because all flesh is like grass. It withers and fades. It dries up. That's why they needed comfort. Second thing, what comfort does he bring? Now, please notice again, comfort, comfort, my people. When things are repeated in the Bible, it means emphasis. So if you like, this is comfort squared. Comfort multiplied by comfort. Speak tenderly to these people, uh, people whose home is Jerusalem. Now then, what comfort does he bring? Well, you find it in verse 2. There's a, there's a, a list of things which I'd like us to think about. Your hard service has been completed. Uh, the word for hard service, hard surface, no, hard service, hard service, uh, is linked with the linked with the word for army, hosts. Uh, so one translation of it says, "Your warfare has ended." And that ties in very well with uh, Armistice Day, doesn't it? Your warfare has ended. The war is over. The strife is over. The conflict is over. The days of suffering and, uh, and trauma are finished. Your hard service has ended. Your sin has been paid for. And I think we'll come back to that. But just notice what he's saying here. Uh, that was a problem. Your sin. It wasn't just geography. It wasn't just military. There was a moral and spiritual thing at the bottom of this. And that sin has been paid for. And you have received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And I'll just point out the word double here again. There's different translations of it but I think the one that's most helpful is to think oh, I don't know if you've ever done this if you take blotting paper let's divide it in half like that put a, a splodge of ink on there fold it over and then you get a blodge on one side and an equal blodge on the other and it might look like a butterfly and children might make butterfly pictures out of doing that because when you fold it in half when you double it up like that you get the exact copy on one side and the other and uh, the, the, the thought of this I got this from Alec Matea 
you've received the exact match for your sins. Uh, your sins were that, and you've received the double, meaning the exact match for her sin. Like Armistice Day, war is over. Hooray. The prisoners can come home. And uh, this is addressed to the people in Babylon. And they had a 70-year period where they were away. And after that 70-year period, the Lord brought them back. And this is anticipating that. And he's saying somehow, in God's eyes, that 70-year period has, uh, has paid the price. And you can come back. And it's a glorious thing. That's the comfort. Let's just think about it a little bit more. The root cause is that matter about the sin. Her sin has been paid for. The way that the nation of Israel was always set up was to say, this is in a world run by God, a personal God, a moral God, and the thing that really determines the way the world works is not the economics, and it's not the geography, and it's not the politics, but it is the relationship with God. Um, I was listening not long ago to A History of a World in a Hundred Objects. Have you ever listened to that um, radio program? It's a few years ago now. Some very interesting things. And one of the, uh, one of the episodes was on what we looked at just last week, the attack against Lashish uh, and the way that Hezekiah, as he prayed, saw the huge Assyrian army retreat. And uh, the person uh, giving the radio program was referencing the sculptures in the British Museum, which depict the Assyrian army. It's very interesting that the, the, the writer saw it entire uh, sorry the writer the person giving this episode saw it entirely in terms of military power and politics he says there is something in the bible about it but and the bible says don't see the world like that i mean there is his, there is politics there is uh, there is geography i mean those things are real but they're not the big Force. They're not the bottom line. They're not the real truth about this world. The real truth is God who's made everything and runs everything and how we relate to him. So she was sent into exile, not because the Babylonians had a bigger army, but fundamentally because of her sin. And uh, we're invited to think that in some way that's, she paid the price herself by suffering those 70 years of suffering and forsakenness. And she received that from the Lord's hand. And in some way the Lord was able to say, prepared to say, I'll accept that as the payment for that sin. You can now come back. And what good news to hear that the penalty is paid. We, we sang it, didn't we? didn't we? The penalty was paid, a pardon bought. Oh dear, what did he say after that? Sinners, sinners lost at last to him were brought. 
Let the praises of my heart be thine. The sin's been paid for. What wonderful good news. And they were uh, invited to look then at the release from exile and the return. Brought back from a dark, distant dungeon. And you'll see as the chapter goes on, it says in verse 11, God tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. And uh, the picture that seems to certainly be in my mind is of God going to this distant country and scooping up in his, in his wonderful arms the whole family of his people, uh, the uh, young and the old and the, um, the families, and the, like a shepherd would bring his flock with particular attention to the baby lambs, particular attention to the mums that have got babies to look after, and he very tenderly brings them home. And that's what God does. He brings them back like a caring shepherd. What a wonderful picture that is. In verse 30, there's another picture of this coming home. This time he's looking at the young men uh, who set off on this journey. And although they're coming home, it is quite a long journey, saying, no problem, we can do this. And actually finding that even young men grow tired and weary. It's in verse 30. The youths grow tired and weary. If you've got teenage children, you find this is actually true. They start very late, but they sleep for enormous amounts of time. Wish I could. Um, Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. And God says, even they have... They need help coming home. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And God gives them the strength to come back home. Well, that's what was addressed to them in those days. But we look at it as Christians... And we say, yes, there's a deep truth here. The root of sin is the root of our human problems. And when sin is paid for, there is a release and a return safe home. But, but, even when the people got home, they found it was still only a foretaste of the real thing. You think in the time of Jesus, in the time of Jesus, the people were back home, weren't they? But there was a a, a sense, "Mm, this isn't the full fulfillment of God's kingdom. This isn't the full fulfillment of his promises. We've had a foretaste, but we still haven't got the fullness of this. And so when John the Baptist comes and he says, now the kingdom comes, now the kingdom draws near, now get ready for the fulfillment of it all. Whatever was done in those 70 years in terms of payment of sin, it was only a partial payment. 
It was not possible at the end of that 70 years to say, sin, finished. Because it wasn't. They were released from the evil power of Babylon, but they were still under the evil power of Satan. Being back in Judea didn't automatically mean that they were nearer to God. Bit of a disappointing lesson to learn, but nevertheless one that they would learn. What the return from Babylon brought them was a foretaste of the comfort that this chapter speaks about. And the chapter that he, uh, and, and the comfort that he speaks about is still being advertised when John the Baptist comes into the desert as a voice crying in the desert, God is coming to save his people. And the coming that he announces is Jesus, the forerunner. Who are you, John the Baptist? I am the voice crying in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. That's what I'm talking about, says John, and this is what's coming, is Jesus. The Jesus who brings comfort to his people in the fullest, permanent, deepest sense. Comfort, security, let's use the word rest that Jesus uses. He is the one who can say, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest for your souls. He's the one who can fully fulfill the promises in this wonderful chapter. And the Christian claim is that Jesus brings this comfort and Jesus will bring this comfort in its fulfilled form because we're still not in heaven yet, so there's still work to be done. And the promise is that if you engage with Jesus Christ by faith, you will be brought from the distance and the darkness and the dungeon of sin to the home near the heart of God. It's a promise for you, if you will trust him and turn to him, that's the promise that he makes. What comfort does he bring? Thirdly, who assures this comfort? Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Notice God does want his people to be comforted. If you've come along this morning as a Christian, not really sure whether God's got you in his hand. Come along not really sure whether that means that he loves you. Not really sure whether you can feel safe in this world in that sense. Hear these words, comfort my people. Comfort my people. So who's bringing the comfort then? Who's bringing this assurance? Well, 
there are a variety of answers to that. If you take a look, we go a little bit further into the, the, uh, the chapter of the voices. So in verse 3, a voice of one calling in the desert. So this voice seems to be in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places are plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all flesh together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So there's a, a voice. We don't know who it belongs to. But they're in the desert crying out um, there's another voice verse 6 a voice says cry out and someone said I don't know whether it is an I uh, I think the NIV says I said what shall I cry so here's a voice saying what, uh, what am I supposed to say and the answer comes all flesh is like grass all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. And uh, just to stop on that, uh, what this voice says, all f it contrasts humanity and something. We'll see what something is in a minute. All flesh is like grass, verse 6, and their glory like the flowers of the field. And I'd like to stop on the word glory because I looked it up and uh, the translators have a little bit of a um, conundrum with this. The word is hesed. And if you were here on Wednesday for the prayer meeting, you will know that hesed is a very special word and it means God's steadfastness and dependability and loyalty and you can count on him. And that's the word here about human beings. And what's their hesed like? Translated glory. Well, it's rubbish actually. Human hesed by itself is like a flower that... Uh, pops up, looks good for a little while and then after a few days it wilts. Have you ever experienced that? You buy flowers for some loved one. I actually do this from time to time. And you put them in a, uh, a vase and you put all the water in, make sure it's topped up and everything. But after a while, pfft, yeah, that's what happens, isn't it? And he said, that's what human hesed is like. It's like uh, the flowers of the field. The and, and God would be sort of be saying this from bitter experience with the people that he had taken to himself and found that their, their loyalty was uh, just withered. The grass withers, the flowers fall because the spirit of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers and the flowers fall. But... In contrast with human witherability, we have the Word of God. And he says, but the Word of God stands forever. And the word used for stand is not just uh, sort of be plonked in a place. It means rises up. 
It's a very wonderful contrast, isn't it? You compare human fickleness with, but the word of God stands forever. If God's promised something, he'll do it. If God says something, he means it. If God commits himself to something in his word, God swears an oath, he'll keep it. The word of God stands forever. What other voices have we got? We've got uh, verse 9. You who bring good tidings to Zion. So is this the same voice or is this a different voice? Uh, It's somebody who's shouting out to Zion, go up on a high mountain. So we had a voice in the desert. We had a voice not quite sure where they are. And here we've got another person who is uh, on a high mountain. And what's this person, what's this voice saying? Uh, This voice uh, brings good news to Zion. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. So here is uh, some more comforting news. Again, with the translation, it could be you who bring good tidings to Zion, or it could be Zion, you who bring good tidings good news. Why does it say tidings? I only just noticed that. It means good news. Anyway, so it's either somebody speaking to Jerusalem and then they go on and tell the news to the towns of Judah, or maybe it's Jerusalem herself who's brought the good news and is supposed to pass that on to the other members of the community. Here's good news from this voice, and the good news is uh, there's three times it says, see. So, see your God, if you like. Behold your God. Here's good news. See your God. Behold, or see, verse 10, the sovereign Lord comes with power. His arm rules for him. The, the, the sovereign Lord, meaning the master, the master of everything, your God who is the master of everything, he comes with power and his arm. It's the idea of God rolling up his sleeves to get on and do something. Do you ever roll up your sleeves? Perhaps a gentleman roll up their sleeves to dig trenches in the garden or something like that. Uh, roll up, and this is a God who has rolled up his sleeves to save his people and it talks about his reward being with him his recompense and accompanies him and not only is he powerful and strong but he's tender and he comes to gather his flock like a shepherd and gather the lambs in his arms and carry them close to his heart and he gently leads those that are young and all of these voices whatever they're a bit mysterious and I'm not going to try and make them unmysterious they're a little bit mysterious The Lord sends all these different voices to say, take comfort, my people. Now, you hear lots of voices, and uh, you uh, actually there's um, an email that's come through to the church email just a couple of days ago, which said something like this, I am your uncle from Nigeria, and you have won $500, $500,000. Please send me your bank details. Now, with the exception of Vicky and Anna, who probably do have uncles in Nigeria, most of us know that that's not to be believed. 
That's right, isn't it? If you get an email like that, the first thing you do is very sceptical about it. But don't be sceptical about this promise of comfort. The spokesmen, the voices that are sent here are telling the truth. And we know in the New Testament the Holy Spirit adds his testimony to say, you can believe this. These words are true. They come through human voices in the desert, on the mountain, pass from one to another, but the message is true. And not only is this a true message to you, if you're a Christian, but it's a message that you too can pass on yourself to other people, like Jerusalem passes this on to the cities of Judah. You too can pass on this good news. You're just a human being, I know that, God knows that. And your voice perhaps is just a voice, but you can pass on this good news to other people. And God will back you up in that. In fact, that's how the gospel spreads. But let's uh, go a little bit further and say there are these voices, but there's the Lord himself who is behind these voices. And he wants us to know who he is so that we can be assured of comfort. And without going into a lot of detail, uh, there are at least two points that are made in this chapter to give comfort to God's people. And one is his faithfulness. So we've touched on verse 8 already. The word of our God stands forever. So the God of the Bible is a God who, who makes promises and keeps them. And it's essential for Christians to believe that. Because there are so many other voices outside us and inside us that say, we're going to tell you the truth about things. You know, our feelings will say, this is the truth about things. And uh, the media will say, this is the truth about things. But we have to believe that when God says something, he's telling us the truth about things. All flesh is as grass, and the hesed of, uh, uh, is like flowers of the field. But the word of our God stands forever. His faithfulness. And another thing that this wants to emphasize to us is his almightiness. So just a look at, uh, for example, verse 26, where God says, please take, do this simple exercise. Go outside when it's dark, verse 26, lift your eyes and look to the heavens and look at the stars. Now, even in Brighton, we can see stars. If you go somewhere less built up if you go into the countryside you'll see even more stars if you go to Trincham Lee uh, in Sri Lanka when they've turned the lights out you'll see masses of stars and God says just look at those I can recognize the pole star the great bear the little bear the Pleiades full stop that's it. Orion, yes, Orion. Okay, Orion. 
God knows all the stars. He knows all of them by name. And because he is the creator, they are there because he likes stars. And so he says, let's have loads of them. And the writer says, take a look at those stars. Whose attention to detail, whose power do they speak about? And the answer is God. Look at them with the right eyes. Look at them through the correct glasses. They're there because God likes stars. They're there because God is powerful enough to fling stars into space, as the song says. And God is faithful enough to make sure that not one of them is missing. They're always there, regular as anything. And he says, think that, that's your God who's done that. And therefore, in verse 27, why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by God? How can you say that? Here we are in Babylon, God's forgotten us. Here we are in Brighton, God's forgotten me. How can you say that? Look at the stars. Think of God's faithfulness and his almightiness. Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God? He invites us to get a big, big view of God. And this God is our God too, if we're Christians. He's the God and Father of Jesus Christ. Our God is this God. And we have advantages over those people in Babylon. We've got better promises, clearer commitments, more benefits. And we've seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So let us be assured of this comfort. And let those words of comfort that came to them come to us comfort my people say to them that the the warfare is over say to them that their sin is paid for say to them they're going home say to them I'll keep them I'll take them there I won't let anything get in my way I won't even let their sin stop me I'm going to bring them home God has rolled up his sleeves he comes This, so we've looked at why do they need comfort well they need comfort because without it they would be distant dark in a dungeon prisoners of sin and Satan and until you become a Christian that's exactly where you are what comfort is being brought well the, the, the comfort that's brought is that sin is paid for and this triggers their release and their return and who assures them of comfort well Voices, messengers from God, but behind those voices, God Himself. And who is He? He's the Creator of the ends of the earth. He's the everlasting God, Almighty and, that word should say, dependable. Hundred years ago, when war was ended, who would not have been out in the streets waving a flag and rejoicing? shepherded home by God what Christian is going to turn up their nose at that what Christian is, is going to say I've got nothing to rejoice about today 
What good reasons to be comforted. What good reasons to be amazed. What good reasons to be grateful. And if you're not a Christian, what a good reason to become a Christian. Let's uh, sing together. Number 776.